Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Today on the podcast, I will be speaking with Serene Farhat. She has been living with type 1 diabetes for several years, since she's a teenager. She's a certified life coach, and she's also a global diabetes advocate, and she is the founder of an organization called Positive on Glucose. She is based in Lebanon. And I met Serene a few years ago, um, so I'm very familiar with her amazing advocacy work and what she's been doing. We know and we read about the stories where it's challenging for people to access insulin and other supplies if they have diabetes, but for many of us, it's not often that we get to hear it firsthand. So I want to, again, thank Serene uh, for joining me for this episode. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a great honor. I'm really excited that you're here. And I know we've known each other for a few years now through the network of people living with diabetes here in the region. And your story is always very inspiring, as well as the work you do. So why don't we start with you, if you don't mind sharing your story? How did diabetes come into your life? Um, so again, thank you so much, Pam. So um, I was diagnosed with diabetes when I was um, 15 years old. I remember it so clearly. Um, I was sick and um, everyone thought like I had uh, like urinary tract infection or something. And uh, I surprised my family and my doctor uh, with having type 1 diabetes. And uh, it, was a, it was a real shock for everyone. Um and they kind of, um, you know, like for them, it felt like, oh, now she can't um, be who she always wanted to be. And now she can't do all the things normal teenagers do. And like, I didn't believe that. I didn't feel like um, diabetes made me any different. If anything, it made me kind of more in control because like I was in charge of keeping myself alive. And that's very empowering. And um, from then, it kind of went like I wanted to prove I'm just as able as anyone else to do anything I, I put my heart and mind into. And um, it, it kind of created this drive around doing more, being more, putting effort more than anyone else, proving that diabetes isn't an obstacle. And I think that's where the spirit of advocacy, you know, like um, that's how it grew. It came from... Um, a place where I didn't feel supported and I wanted in turn to like support and uh, enable and empower other people living with this, this condition to be anything or any anyone they want to be. That's amazing because at 15 years old, there is no good age to get a diabetes diagnosis, but 15, the teen years, it's so challenging and to be so driven from that time is truly inspiring. Was there a particular one incident where you just said, okay, this is, this is my way forward? Or were you always just a really um, driven, driven person before diabetes? I mean, um, I'm an only child. So like my parents were always like very overprotective um, over like, like a girl uh, and you know, like how the Arab community is. So they always wanted to protect me from the world. And then diabetes came and I remember the day I was diagnosed, like all family members came over. They were like, they were kind of, everyone was kind of breathing, you know, and I was looking at them like, I'm here, I'm, I'm alive. I, I'm breathing. I'm okay. I'm just going to take insulin. And like, 
that's it, I'm, I'm going to be fine. And it's it kind of, um, <laughs> it's built this rebellious spirit, you know, like, no, like, you're, you won't grieve. Like, this isn't uh, a challenge. This is something I'm going to take. I'm going to make it, like, amazing. It's going to be, like, my point of value. It's going to be, like, my superpower. And, if, and it's just been there, you know, um, ever since. And, you know, as a diabetic, as a girl, you always encounter things. And I think every single thing I ever encountered made me more um, adherent to like this notion of diabetes as a superpower. I'm going to make something wonderful out of this. Like, remember my name. <laughs> I'm going to do amazing things. Like, it's built the spirit over time. And there's no one incident. It's just the day-to-day things that happen when you cope with this condition. That's amazing. And I love that you've turned it into something really positive and a way to help people. And we were recently on a panel together and I knew that you were doing a lot of different things and helping a lot of people. But that's the first time I really listened to you formally present what you're doing. And it's like three times more than what I realized you were doing. So can you share with us your work around advocacy and and other things that you're working on? Um, yeah, sure. So um, I think the first time I formally felt like I want to be an advocate or I want to stand for something uh, was um, like maybe three years ago. Uh, my dad was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, which is something I left out of that panel. And I felt like my dad is um, 60. He's not educated. He doesn't have a group of people that support him or, or know how to support him with diabetes. And I was honestly scared to death. Like, how is he going manage, to manage his type 2 diabetes? I don't want him with complications. I don't want him to like um, have an amputated leg or something, you know? And I realized that there were no um, communities for people with diabetes. I started searching for NGOs and I found two NGOs that um, one supports juvenile diabetes. So like it's kids mostly like under the age of, like it supports people up to the age of 21, but it was like mainly made of kids under the age of um, 16. And there was this other group that kind of did some work but um, it wasn't like, like as a diabetic, I didn't feel like it saturated my needs, you know? Um, so that, that's where it started. I was like, okay, if no one's doing it, I'm going to do it. And I started, like, I created this page on Instagram. The name just came up. I was like, okay, pause among glucose, because like, it was a, it was like something with two meanings, like pause among glucose, meaning there is glucose in your bloodstream or you're in your, you're your diabetic and positive on glucose. Like I have diabetes, but I'm positive on like coping with this condition. And then I started meeting with people online through this Instagram account. I kind of stumbled across something called Two One International. And they were doing amazing community efforts, community mobilization, amazing work, honestly, um, in terms of back then it was in terms of the US. And I was like, how can I start a chapter in Lebanon? I just randomly commented on one of their posts and they responded. And one thing that led to another, I received advocacy training and there I was looking for people to kind of join my advocacy attempt. And that is when I formally started creating my NGO, Pause Glucose. And honestly, like things from there in Lebanon were kind of going downhill. This is back in 2019. We had a revolution in October. The country kind of uh, completely stopped functioning. I was pregnant I had a baby loss and uh, on New Year's Eve, uh, I had a stillbirth at 35 weeks and like every single obstacle, every single hardship, every single challenging thing 
was fuel, you know, like it was diesel to my engines. It just kept me pushing and going forward. And I kept pushing, you know, I wanted to make my NGO formal. I wanted to uh, reach out to people. We created a support group. I became a certified life coach. I wanted to support people with diabetes for free. Uh, we started with a support group of three people, and now it's grown to 60 people from all over the world, not just in Lebanon. And um, then the Beiruplast happened, <laughs> and things, you know, just kept getting worse. I was just pushing harder. You know, the worse they become, the harder I would push. And um, two years later, two years and something later, here we are, you know. My, my, my organization is finally, like, um, a legal entity. We finally are starting to formally do work other than all the you know relief efforts we've been doing out of pocket for the past two years. And um, I, I started doing more advocacy work in terms of global cooperation with the World Health Organization, uh, with the International Diabetes Federation. I met all like the like I, I connected with people that looked like me, had the same goals, had the same objectives. And um, you know, it's like this big picture that keeps getting clearer, and uh, you you feel the dots are connecting and you're like, when I look back at it, I feel like I've done so much work, but when I look at the present moment, I feel like there's, there's so much work to be done. So um, it's like pride, but at the same time, there's so much work that needs to be done. And I, I will keep pushing to kind of help people in the region in terms of advocacy, in terms of mobilization, in terms of empowerment, because we need it. This is so true. It it seems almost never ending because there is always someone that needs support or things that can happen that can make it so much better. And I also love that you're very focused on this region because we when we go to the internet and we look for support for diabetes groups, I mean, to be very honest, and I, I struggled with this, even though I was American, when my son was diagnosed, the only groups that I could really find were in the U.S. and I wasn't living there and having, you know, while we're very fortunate and we have access to things here in Dubai and the UAE, it was very difficult to relate to those things on the internet because they're not having the same experience as you. Um, so I think it's super important what you're doing to really focus on the region and in diabetes. And I love that WHO um, has found you or you found each other um, so that you can continue to grow and, and get people the support that they need in terms of. So now after all of these things have been happening in Lebanon in the last few years, what is, or let me rephrase that. What are some of the challenges that people with diabetes are having in Lebanon? Um, so I don't know how much people know about what's going on in Lebanon, but we had the currency devaluation after the revolution in 2019. And up till today, our currency has almost lost 80% of its value. That means that the government has kind of removed subsidization from most subsidized goods like um, fuel, like gas, um like essential medication like there are only a couple of more medications still subsidized by the government and in turn this has led companies medical companies that provide um medical goods to kind of refuse this you know subsidization on certain things because it means that they're actually paying out of pocket to be able to import things so in turn, that led to things being out of the market. Um, there was a point where 
uh, some insulin brands were not available in the market. Some insulin brands are still not available in the market at the moment. Like basic things like Novorapid, like Tresiba, things you can't imagine life to be like as a diabetic, you can't imagine to be without because you may die. And um, while there are other brands that substitute um, these names, for example, some people like they, they're just not suitable for them. You know, they, it just doesn't, doesn't work. In terms of supplies, um, pump supplies are still, are still there, but they've become quite expensive. I think they've tripled now in terms of price. Sensors uh, became out of the market at a certain point for like four or five months. That is where we um, came and like kind of started talking to the MOH in Lebanon. Uh, we had uh, someone represent uh, mothers of children with diabetes because basically they're the most fierce. They would go and, you know, they would go and attack anyone that would come near their children. So they're, they're like the best ally a diabetic can have. So we went in and we extensively explained to the Ministry of Health that sensors need to be subsidized. They need to be in the market. They can be priced in USD at the moment because that would mean that literally they would cost a paycheck, you know, to like buy one sensor. So um, it, it was positive. Um, the... The, the central bank was able to still subsidize sensors, but now you can like, you, you have like kind of an allowance. So that means like you can only buy, buy two sensors a month, which is, I think is decent as long as they're affordable for people and accessible. Um, test strips are out of the market uh, and if found, they have quadrupled in price. So it's very challenging. And in terms of this, we've reached out to the World Health Organization. We tried to like reach out to um, uh, community partners to help, but like we haven't received any feedback yet. But like the price of this will be complications in the next 10 years, because if, if the government doesn't step up and like do proper actions to support people living with chronic issues like diabetes, like type 1 diabetes, people are going to develop complications because of lack of proper care. And that is going to cost the government 10 years or 15 years from now a lot of money. So um, it's very challenging. We've been trying to get things from out of the country. Literally, we ask people to have drives in countries and ship in, bring in diabetes supplies and medication in their bags. And um, it's been working. It's been helping people to a certain extent. Um, and we just keep going and pushing, you know. That sounds very challenging. And I have so many questions. And, you know, in such a situation, there may not even be so many answers. So are people able, you know, with challenges of not able to get gasoline and different, you know, things like this, are people able to find even the alternative insulins in pharmacies? Um, honestly, people are at the moment reliant at organizations that are bringing insulin and supplies from outside the country. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the gas crisis. I mean, um, it's, it's just starting to resolve this week, but we had five hard months of lack of gasoline and people would like park their cars for like, <laughs> like, I can't even imagine how long miles just to kind of fill up their car with not even a full tank. And um, that has left people stuck in their villages, stuck in their hometowns, unable to search for uh, medication in different areas or in different villages. But like, thank God, like other community members and other NGOs are active and are trying to, to help people 
bring in things from outside of Lebanon or else, trust me, so many people would have died. And people, there are cases where people died just because there wasn't any Panadol. Can, can you even manage, imagine that? There was a child that died because they couldn't find uh, like anti-fever medication. So I think we're fortunate um, to be able to still survive in these conditions. And that is why we need to kind of multiply our efforts because things aren't getting any easier. They're, they're just getting worse. And people have lost the value of their money. They're not able to support their basic needs. No, one's, no one deserves to have to choose between buying themselves medication or putting food on the table. So um, we try, organizations are trying, and we have to see where, like we have to keep pushing and we have to find a solution. I can't see it any other way. Once a few months ago, when I spoke with you, you mentioned that, you know, because of the situation, if people have the means to do so, many people are leaving because it's a very difficult um very difficult situation. Are are there still enough physicians around to support people with diabetes and chronic conditions? Honestly, we've lost so many good physicians. I've personally lost a very good physician that I, that was my like my physician, and um, unfortunately, it's it's getting harder by the day, and it's hard for physicians too. I mean. Like you hear stories of people not able to kind of fill up their fill up their cars to go and deliver a baby or like unable to like operate in, a, in a, an operation room at the hospital because like there was an electricity cut. There, there are so many horror stories um, and it's very challenging, but I understand, you know, I understand why someone would pick up their things and just leave because they want a better future than their, their children, for their children. I personally don't intend to leave because like for me, it's if I leave, if people like me leave, who would stay? You know, who would stay and help rebuild this country? So, but it, it is getting very challenging, very hard. And um, again, we have to keep pushing to kind of find a solution together. Amazing. I really love your your dedication. And I'm sure those that you're supporting appreciate it more than, than words can can express. If there's people out there that um, are listening and they want to support or reach out to you and learn more, in addition to your um, Instagram account at Positive on Glucose, are there other places where they can find you? Um, so basically, we are on Instagram. We have a Facebook page. We currently don't have a website um, because um, we had some like we had some issues with you know, paying in USD to like the hosting uh, website because of the current situation in Lebanon. But um, I'm reachable through the Positive One Glucose Instagram account. I'm always here if anyone needs any help. Um, I have my, my phone number is even there. So um, I'm more than happy to support any, any person living with diabetes who needs to be in a support group or needs to be heard or has a story to share or just has a way of, you know, um, thinking of an idea that can help the community. Um, that's where they can find me at the moment. <laughs> Great. And do you feel that you mentioned that, you know, now just recently so there was a little bit more access to, um, to gasoline for the, the cars. Do you feel that that's a sign that it's improving or do you still feel that there's a very long way to go? Uh, no, because the price of gasoline has, um, it's like, I think 10, 
or even 15 times more what it used to be. So like, even if there is gasoline and that is what people at gas stations now like joke about, there isn't money to fill up your cars. You know, most people can't really afford um, to fill up their cars more than once a month because it's literally half their paycheck. So um, things are bad, but again, we try, we keep pushing to find a way to make it an easy transition on people because uh, we're going into elections um, in, I think, May. Um, like, like there's, there's a lot of work to, to happen here. So it's going to take a long time to come out of this. Maybe like, I think, <laughs> five to seven years to come out of this economically. So let's see how like things go. But like personally, throughout all of this, I'll be trying to find uh, solutions to every single problems diabetic will be encountering here in Lebanon and in the region. Amazing. And with with okay, gasoline is one thing, but I also read there have been power outages. Is that daily? That's daily. Of um, where I live. We only, I have generator support from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m. I have no electricity during the entire day. So um, we have to kind of, as diabetics, find creative ways to keep our insulin um, alive. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny when, you, when we speak about it because we cope so well and we joke about it so well that it has become normal to us. You know, like it's, it's just a normal part of our life. Um, but it, it's, it is, again, very, very challenging. And going into winter, is it going to get very cold? And then will that become a challenge? Um, it will. And we then will have to figure out ways to solve this. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, I, I'm quiet because there's so many questions to ask, but yet nothing to say when you're faced with so many challenges. I do love the the resilience that you have. And after having met so many people from Lebanon, they they all have a certain sense of resiliency um, and very, for lack of a better word, creative in finding ways to solve problems. And I think that comes from, you know, the extreme adversity of situations like what you're facing right now. And outside of, you know, insulin, um, and of course, a better economic situation. Are there other things that people with diabetes are in dire need of? Um, I mean, if you take all the things people in Lebanon have in ge- generally been through, I mean, I'm 30. I've already been through two wars, um, so many economic uh, turbulences, so many assassinations, so many bombings, and I somehow survived. But like, Given that apart, which is like major PTSD, which all Lebanese people have, um, there are like um, like the regular things, you know, there's like the social stigma, there's like um, the coping with diabetes distress, there's the lack of education. Uh, so like all of these things, of course, we have to work on, we have to like find a solution to, but before we do that, we have to survive, we have to stay alive to think of them. So it's, 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 uh, it's in a sense like um, a matter of priorities. At the moment, we want to survive as people living with diabetes. We want to survive with the minimum amount of uh, distress and complications. And I know there will be a lot of education. There will be a lot of social empowerment, a lot of um, things that are going to happen for diabetics in Lebanon. Um, but first things first. For sure. 
while education and everything is extremely important, if you don't have the basics like insulin or the ability to check your blood sugar or the ability of, for example, the needles to administer insulin, that that has to happen first and foremost. True. Is there anything else that you would like us to know about Lebanon? Well, as, as a very proud young Lebanese, I would tell you that Lebanon is a very beautiful place to be. It, the people are amazing. They're resilient. They love life. They find a way to live. They find a way to enjoy life, even though everything is horrendous. And um, diabetics in Lebanon are doing an amazing job in supporting and uh, helping each other. I just, I hope someday you get to come and meet people here. You get, you get to experience the culture. You get to experience diabetes um, in a sense of community. And uh, un until then, read about Lebanon, talk about Lebanon, be there for Lebanon, and Lebanon will do the same for you. I love that. I've actually been to Lebanon before years ago when Aaron, Aaron my son, was really small. And we were there and it it's everything you say it is. It's lovely. It's beautiful. The people are warm and I loved everything about it. So once we kind of get past the logistics of COVID and travel and everything else, I would love to come back again. And I, at that time, I didn't really know anybody that had diabetes. So I would love to meet you face to face and in the community as well. Honestly, Pam, there's, there's become such a great community of diabetics in the region um, that it's now easy to kind of connect with anyone in Egypt, in Morocco, in Jordan, in Kuwait, like every, everywhere you go, there's a Pazama Lucas member that you can connect with, which I find so heartwarming. Like uh, a month ago, I was in Egypt and I connected with one of, I, I saw one of our members and it was beautiful. Um, like getting to touch and see and feel someone you've seen on Zoom for like a year and a half. So um, the power of community is beautiful. What a community community can do when they come together is beautiful. And we have done that. They've helped so much just by loving uh, people in di with diabetes in other countries. So I really hope I can see you soon. I hope the entire community can come together and meet one day somewhere. And um, yeah, that would be amazing. I think that's a good goal for us to have to do, to look forward to for the future. Yeah, Serene, Serene, thank you so much for joining me, speaking with me, and telling us more about what is happening um, for you in Lebanon and how you're supporting people with diabetes there. I really appreciate your time. And we'll put all the links in the show notes um, so people can find you in your organization as well. Um, so, so please go to the Diapoint website to look for that, or even send us an email if you'd like to learn more. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pam. And I hope everyone stays safe and sound. Thank you. You too. I want to thank Serene again for joining us and sharing her experience and also sharing about the work that she's doing. I'll admit there were a lot of times during the discussion that I was speechless and didn't know what to ask. And, you know, sitting here thousands of miles away, it feels really helpless. So I want to thank you again for, for sharing that and, and showing up to share that with us because that's certainly not easy. And the other thing that I, or one of the things that I really noticed was when I asked about winter and if it was going to get cold, I could feel that I don't think that they've really 
you know, been thinking about the future so much. When you're in a challenging situation like this, that part of our discussion just really shows that you are really living in the moment and living day to day, living in the present, which I think is always important because we never know what the future may bring. And while there were some um, little beams, rays of light of hope in that, I'm so happy to hear that Serene and others are still able to stay positive through this. So if you're in Lebanon and out there listening, um, we send you much love. And if you want to learn more about Serene's organization and the work that she's doing, we will have the links in the podcast notes. You can reach out to her or please reach out to me if you would like to get in touch with her. Thank you and have a wonderful day.